Welcome, family. As we make our way back to our seats, I want to ask you a question. You ever had that situation where you're awaiting that important package that you purchased online and it comes to your doorsteps, and then when you open your front door and there is the package, it's there, but it's not there in one piece? That ever happened to you? The corners are bent in. There's some holes that have been poked into that box. The tape is a little peeled off. It has been through war. And then you see that little label on it that's important to you. It's that seven-letter word that says fragile. Y'all know what that's like? And when you have that experience, you know, like, man, you're a little afraid to even open it. You're like, I don't know what's going to look like inside of this thing. Because everything on the outside of it is pretty jacked up. And then the inside of it, I don't know what that's going to be like. So you open it afraid to see what the fragile contents inside have been like because it's gone through a whole lot of challenges evidently on the way there. And you know that when, someone, when you order something that is fragile, someone in a packing plant has to wrap it up properly, put it in the box in a certain kind of way to prevent its damage. Because you need to make sure it is delivered because it is something that is delicate. When I think about packages such as these, I think that many of us would say that our faith can feel oftentimes very similar. Some of you can feel like your faith has a fragile sticker attached to it. Maybe there has been unanswered prayers you've prayed. Maybe there have been disappointments in life. Maybe you're still very young in your faith, or you are, been, have been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you really haven't really sought God in a way to grow in this faith. So you might be old from a numerical standpoint spiritually, but young in your faith from the way you've journeyed, and you feel like your faith is still fragile. You feel like your faith is delicate, and you're just unsure if it can go through another trial. Maybe you're afraid that your spiritual box is going to get beat up. And you're like, man, God, I don't even know what's inside of me anymore. Am I alone or you ever felt this way, family? We may not wonder if we will cease to believe in God in those moments. But we will wonder if we'll cease to trust in God. So, family, I want us to understand something. For many of us, who are here today and streaming online, you may be at a place in your life saying, I'm not going to question God's existence, although some of you may be here who do. But you may not be at a place, I'm not going to question God's existence, but my faith is so fragile, I don't know if I can trust this God that I believe in. It's not saying, God, I don't believe you exist. I just don't know if you're trustworthy. That's a fragile faith. And family, I want us to know this morning that a fragile faith cannot become a fortified faith until it is a fighting faith. I don't think y'all heard me here. I want y'all to understand that a fragile faith cannot become a fortified faith until it is a fighting faith. Another way to put it, as Warren Wiersbe, this pastor who pastored here in Chicago once said, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. 
We serve a God who recognizes that many of us exist with a fragile sticker on our faith, but we serve a God who is not content with us proceeding with this fragile sticker on our faith. We serve a God who wants to take our fragile faith and make it a fortified faith, but in order to do that, he's got to test it so that it can become a fighting faith. God is committed to breaking through your doubts in order to build up your faith. God is committed to breaking through whatever it is that's holding you back, not from believing in him, but from trusting in him. He wants to break through that to build up your faith in him. So this morning, I want to ask you, do you want to have a fragile faith or a firm faith? Do you want your faith to be delicate or fortified? And the good news is, God wants you to have faith that is firm and fortified. Today, what I want to do is I want to highlight I'm going to underline. I'm going to make bold. If this was a story on Facebook, I'd put all those flashing arrows to these four things that God wants to do in order to break through doubt, to break through unbelief, to break through your inability to trust him in order to build up a faith that just not only believes but also walks with God. This is what we're going to look at this morning. And I titled my sermon very similar to last week's. Last week's title was building, uh, Breaking Through Insecurity, and today it's Breaking Through Doubt. And last week, I introduced you to a person in the Bible who battled all kinds of insecurities based on his pedigree, his family ancestry, and his own feeling of, of inadequacy. But not only did this man battle insecurity, but this same man battled doubt. And some of you guys are kind of like, this dude's a lot like me. Battling insecurity, battling doubt, I'm in that boat so often and I trust and know that you are. And we serve a God who not only wants to break through your insecurities, but wants to break through your doubts so you can trust him fully. And in order to explore this together, fam, we are going to find ourselves in the book of Judges in the Bible, chapter 6, 7, and 8. We got a lot of ground to cover this morning and not a lot of time to do it. So I need you to buckle your seatbelts and ready to dive in with me. Y'all ready? Actually, don't buckle your seatbelts yet because I'm asking you to stand as I read God's word. Then you can buckle down. So you join me in the book of Judges, chapter 6. We've been introduced to this man named Gideon. Gideon is said to be a mighty man of valor while he is hiding from the enemy. He questions God's call in his life because he's very timid. But then God gives him the courage to say, all right, I'm going to follow you, God. He tears down the idols in his dad's backyard, and then this happens. Verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. They're ready to make war against God's people. But the Spirit of the Lord, can you say the Spirit of the Lord? The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. That's a great word. And Gideon sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, and they too were, uh, were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, 
if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, can you say, as you have said? Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Verse 38. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece. He wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. But let me just speak once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. Let's pray, fam. Father, I ask that you would speak through me. Lord, would you give us the ability to hear you in the clearest ways, Lord? God, I know there are people here present today who believe you but are having a hard time trusting you. And God, I, wanna, I, I, I pray, Lord, that they would see how committed you are to making them a mighty woman or a mighty man, a mighty youth of faith today. And God, would you strengthen them in the midst of their insecurities and doubt to trust you. Grant us ears to hear. Grant us eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may take a seat, family. Let me set the stage for us. The book of Judges, as I've told you guys in the preceding weeks, is a story of God's people having this cycle of turning away from God, worshiping fake idols, God bringing his hand of discipline on them, making life difficult, until God's people asked for forgiveness, ran back to God. God raises up a judge and rescues them from these, this oppression, and then they experience a time of freedom until they go back to the idols and the cycle continues. We've seen a number of different judges rise up, and we've seen really not many common threads. Some are courageous, some are timid. Some are warriors, some are not. Some are men, some are women. Some are strong, some are not. And we just see this uniqueness in these judges, but we see the common thread is that there is a powerful God who calls them to his work. And no matter how inadequate they feel, God is adequate through them. And the overarching theme we see throughout the book is that very point. And just like you and I often feel very inadequate, very insecure, very doubting, there is a God who can work through us to accomplish his will. And that is good news, family. We see this man named Gideon here. That God had told him, hey, Gideon, I'm going to use you to rescue my people from oppression from this, this Midianite peoples. And we're told in the opening verses that I just read for us that the Midianites came and gathered in this valley called the Jezreel Valley. It is an enormous open space. And they gathered there prepared to make war against God's people. We're told in chapter 8 verse 10 that about 135,000 of these Midianites were gathered at this location. That's not a small army. And Gideon, we're told... 
in verse 34 of chapter 6, was clothed with the Holy Spirit, giving Gideon a kind of courage that he did not have on his own strength. Family, this is what's so beautiful about our God. He knows how insufficient and inadequate you feel. And God finds so much pleasure in using you in the midst of that. Because he would clothe us through faith in Jesus with his Holy Spirit to do things we could not do without his help. What's really remarkable, I'm going to do some quick, what we call in theology, pneumatology. The word pneuma stands for spirit. It's a study of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God did not dwell within every follower of Yahweh, every follower of God. He would come upon different people at different times for different tasks. This is why King David, when he sinned against the Lord, sinned by taking Bathsheba as his wife when she wasn't, he prays in the Psalms saying, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me, because that was a reality for Old Testament saints. But in the New Testament, in which we live in these New Testament times, in the book of Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit pours out upon each and every single person who puts their faith in Jesus without exception. And we're told in the Bible that that same Spirit of God lives in us and will never leave us because He is the guarantee of our eternal inheritance. And so just off the bat, as I read this, I think, man, God, how awesome it is to be a follower of Jesus. Because if you believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for you, and you've given your life to him, God's spirit lives in you, and you have something Gideon didn't have until this very moment. You have something the majority of Old Testament saints didn't have. And you have something permanently that they didn't know if they would have. God lives in you. Let that soak in. God, the eternal God, lives in you. And yet we doubt if he can use us. Man. Gideon is here, suddenly clothed with the Spirit of God, something we take for granted. And he's given this kind of boldness in the midst of his feeble and fragile faith to sound a trumpet and gather an army to go against this enormous Midianite army of 135,000. So Gideon's thinking like you and I would think. I got to put together a super team to win this championship. Not everybody does that. Certain people do, but not everybody does that. Gideon felt the need to do that. He wants to gather as many people as he can to try to defeat this army. But as he's gathering these people, Gideon has a moment. He's got a moment where he's like, if I'm not hearing this right, we're all toast. And so Gideon comes to God in verse 36. With his feeble and fragile faith, Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor, and he says, basically, God, I'm going to put this fleece outside. And in the morning, when I wake up, let there be no dew on the grass, but only on the fleece. That's a pretty specific request, isn't it? What I find really remarkable is the way that Gideon frames his question here. He says, if you will save Israel by my hand, 
as you have said. See, Gideon is questioning whether or not God will keep his promise. Gideon didn't misunderstand the message. He knew God had told him he was going to use him. But Gideon's not saying, I don't know if I heard you well. Gideon's saying, God, are you really going to do what you said you're going to do? God, do you keep your promises? I find this to be really heart-piercing because I know that you and I wrestle to embrace God's promises for ourselves. We might believe it for someone else. But we have a hard time personalizing it. Now, as a youth, I was big time into gospel music. I still am. But there's one particular artist named Fred Hammond who had a song called No Weapon. And in this song, he paraphrases Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. And he says this, God will do what he said he will do. He's not a man that he should lie. He will come through. And so what Fred Hammond understands is what the book of Numbers teaches is what Gideon had a hard time believing is that God makes promises and he don't lie. God says he'll do something and he does it. But Gideon's faith is not yet at a place where he believes that he can trust God. He believes in God. He's talking to him, but he's not trusting God yet. And in this moment, I'm wondering what is going through God's mind here. God knows what's going on, of course. He is omniscient, all-knowing. But in my humanity, I'm like, what else, Gideon, do you need? What else do you need? God's been talking to you audibly. That should be enough. That's how we feel. But we feel we're we're quite a bit more like Gideon than we realize. God meets Gideon in this place and does it. He wakes up in the morning. Everything is dry, but the fleece is wet. And then Gideon's like, that's pretty amazing. Rings out the fleece, fills a bowl of water. And then Gideon's like, God, you know, let, just, just one more, one more, God. Just to make sure that I know that I know that I know is you. Can you do the opposite tomorrow morning? Can you make everything wet but the fleece dry? And then it says God does it. And so some of you guys are thinking like, man, I need to be praying like Gideon, huh? No, you do not need to be praying like Gideon necessarily. Before we talk about that, I want to ask, why does God answer his prayer? Like, why does God stoop to that level? Well, as I told you already, God is committed to taking your fragile faith to fortified faith. And this is the first thing we learned today that I want to highlight how he does this. God will come to you where you're at, even if that place is ridden with doubt. God will come to you where you are at, even if that place is written with doubt. What I see God doing here is what many of you do when you're talking to a child. If you're talking to them and you're trying to persuade a child for whatever it might be, and they're like, I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't know if I want to do this. I think about the times with my kids where I'm like, hey, let's go swim here. And maybe they're like, I don't know, Papa, if I trust you on that, that's, that's, a little, that's a little scary. Or whatever it might be. What I do to my, for my kids is this. Right here. And I look at them at their level and I say, trust me. I got you. I'm your Bobby. I'll take care of you. I stoop to their level to meet them in their fragile faith so they can learn to trust. And it's moments like these I see God just stooping to our level, not because he's going with our games, 
Not because he's gullible, but because he's committed to building you up. And he meets you at that eye level and says, I want to build you up. And he meets Gideon in this place of stooping. It's what God did in the wilderness when he came into that bush, set it on fire but didn't let it burn. Stooped to Moses' level and says, I am who I am. It's what he did when Daniel was in that lion's den. He sent the angel and stooped to Daniel's level. I'm going to close the mouth of the lion. It's what he did in that little town of Bethlehem. He didn't just stoop down, but he, he stooped all the way down. From his throne to this earth and to come at our level and say, I am a God who is committed to your faith growing. And I'm going to come to this earth and give you what you don't have. And that's called faith. In order to do what you could not do. And that's called salvation. And I'm going to live this life that you could not live. It's called perfection. To die this death that you couldn't die. And it's called substitution. To raise from the dead what you couldn't do. And it's called resurrection. I'm going to do this because I'm a God who stoops to your level. Not because I'm gullible. Not because I'm weak. Because I am committed to rescue my people. And that's what God does for Gideon this moment. And this Gideon, who doesn't yet know how to trust God, is learning that there is a God who comes down and meets him where he's at, even if that place is ridden with doubt. And some of you today have a life that's ridden with so much doubt. You're struggling to trust God. And even this sermon, even this word is God coming to you at your eye level and saying, I know you came with doubt. I know you came with insecurity. I know you came unsure if you can trust me. And I came to speak to you at this level right now so you know it's me talking to you because I care about your faith. God is committed to breaking through your doubt to build up your faith. And he does that for Gideon. Well, Gideon now knows that he knows that he knows that he knows that God is with him. And so Gideon musters his army together, and he's doing a head count. 5,000, 20,000, give or take, 32,000. Anyone else? 32,000, okay. 135,000, okay. Gideon musters his super team, which is not a super team. He is outnumbered by about 100,000 soldiers. And God sees Gideon there, and Gideon's like, all right, God, but I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that you're with me. So us 32,000, we got this, right? And God's like, no, no, there's a problem here. All right, yes, God, I see the problem here. All right? Where are the other 100,000 coming from? And God's like, no. It's a problem in the reverse. There's too many of you. Look at chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord God said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, there, now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. This is not the thing you tell soldiers before war. If you're afraid to go into war and risk your very life, just, just leave right now. Well, guess what happened? 
people left right now to the tune of 22,000. Look at verse, verse 3. At the end of it, it says, Then 22,000 of them, of the people, returned, and only 10,000 remained. And Gideon's like, I'm no mathematician here, but we're going in the wrong direction, God. 10,000. And then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. I've reduced you 68%, Gideon, but there's just still too many of them. See, I want to do a thing that is so clearly impossible and so obvious that it was me that I want there to be no shadow of a doubt. See, what was an unthinkable feat with the 32,000 is becoming an impossible feat. And God's like, that's where I want you. That's the zone I want you in right here, Gideon. So God says to them, go to the river. And this is what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to separate your 10,000 people into two different groups. Some people, as they drink water, as they bow, they get down on their knees and put their face in water begin to drink it. I want you to set them aside on one part. And the others who take a water in their hands and kind of slurp it up to another side. God's not saying one is better than the other here, family, all right? But he's making a point. Well, as you might think, 9,700 of them come over here and do the math. 300, move over, Spartans, this is the original, come over here. And God's like, yes. That 300 is all I need to hold down my people. And before Lin-Manuel said it, I'm sure Gideon thought it, how can a ragtag volunteer army in need of a shower defeat this Midian superpower? How will they emerge from, I'll stop there. But he's probably thinking like, how's this gonna happen? 300 people? You see, fam, there's a second thing we learn about God's commitment to building up your faith here. God will increase genuine faith by decreasing your misguided trusts, even if it's scary. God will decrease the things in your life that you're trusting in in order to increase your trust in God. And I need to ask you, what are you trusting in today? What are the things that you are building your life on right now. I remember my first year of seminary, and I've shared this with you guys before, but it bears repeating. Erica and I had spent a year saving up money to pay for my seminary education. And I went to summer school to get some prereqs out of the way before starting seminary, wrote a check for that. And then came the time to write a check for my first semester. And I'm looking at that check amount, and I'm looking at my bank account, and we look at that check, and we look at our account, and we're like, we got the money, but then we won't have anything else here. And I remember, I promise you, I remember that feeling of handing over a check. That's a paper thing, by the way, that you write down an amount on, for those of you who don't know. Sign it. I remember handing that check off and feeling all my security going with it. And it's like God was like, now you're ready to trust me. My friend, he gave a full scholarship for me. He gave a job. He gave Erica a job. And we worked and trusted God and God provided in ways we would never have planned. And we learned to trust him when that account was depleted. 
Because that's where our trust was previously. What's your trust in today, family? See, God's like, the stuff will come and go, but I will always be. The stuff will change, but I remain the same. The stuff will falter, but I'm a solid rock. I want you to learn to trust me and not in those things. Not your education, not your job, not your resume, not your bank account, not your family, not whatever it is that you find yourself trusting is in. Because God is enough for you, family. You need nothing else. He's enough when all your pursuits have crashed down. He's enough when your faith is faltering. He's enough to take your, tra- your, your circumstances and transform them for his purposes. How many possessions do you need to give you purpose, fam? How, how much money is enough to bring you peace today? How much love is enough to bring you joy? The things that we so often go to just are not enough. And God wants Gideon to know. God wants you to know. God wants me to know that he is enough. And he will decrease those things you trust in in order to increase your trust in him today. So don't begrudge when certain things feel depleted and causing you to trust in God. Because even in that, he's working in your life. He's committed to it, even when it feels scary. Gideon's got his team, and he is there struggling. And essentially, God says this to Gideon. All right, Gideon, you're ready now. You got your 300. They got their 135,000, but trust me, I got you. But just in case, Gideon, you're still a little faltering your faith, God tells Gideon this. You're ready for war, but if you feel like you're not ready, I'm going to throw you a bone here. God tells Gideon, I want you to go down to the Midianite camp, sneaking down there with your, with your servant, Pua. I want the two of you to go down there. I want you to listen. Get close enough to the edge of the camp. Just hear what they're talking about. And so Gideon can either just say, no, God, I'm good. I'm going to war. Or he could take him up on his offer. I think we know enough about Gideon to assume what he's going to choose here. Gideon's like, let me just quadruple check this. I'm going to go down to the camp with Pua. And here's what he hears them say. Verse 13, when Gideon came, chapter 7, verse 13, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley, bread, tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down. A piece of cake rolled into our camp and knocked down a tent. So that the tent lay flat. This was the guy dreams. And you're like, what is that, right? I mean, we've had some weird dreams before. And I love verse 14. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And I'm like, I didn't get that from that dream. (laughs) where, Where is this coming from? And the guy's like, That must be Gideon. He's coming to get us. Like, won't God do it? And so Gideon is like, they're talking about me. And they're afraid of me. In verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard them telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. 
And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, the Lord has given the host of Midian to your hands. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirt of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. This is the battle plan. We're going to go on the mountain ranges around this valley, hundred groups of hundred. We got our torches with a bowl over it. We got our trumpets. We're going to hit this and hear this large clanking of sounds. We're going to blow some trumpets, and we're going to start yelling for the Lord and for Gideon. And sure enough, when they do this, the people hear the shout. It says at midnight they do this. The people in the camp hear the shout. They hear the breaking glass. They hear the name of Gideon. They hear the name of Yahweh. And guess what happens to this camp of Midianites? All 135,000 of them go into a panic. And they start not being able to see their neighbor, thinking they're under attack, pull out their swords and begin to kill one another. We're told that the few who remained fled and Gideon's little army of 300 chased them down and God brought victory. See, what we learn from this little dream that these guys heard is this third thing I want us to understand in terms of building up our faith. It is this, that God is at work even when you can't see it. God is at work when you can't see it. God had given that man that dream already. Gideon didn't know about it. But Gideon didn't need to know about it because God is at work even when you don't see it. And there are things going on in the world around you that don't seem to make sense. But God is at work in those things because he is for you and he's for the building up of your faith. And then we see God bring victory as he told Gideon he would do. And I love this in verse 21. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. Every man, all of Gideon's people stood in their place. That's not a battle strategy, but that's what God used. Because here's the fourth thing. God follows through on his promises, even when it seems impossible. You see, when our faith is weak, we know that we serve a God who meets us where we're at. We know we serve a God who will decrease the things we're trusting in so we increase our faith in him. We know we serve a God who's always at work, who follows through on his promises, we can realize we can not only believe he exists, but trust him with whatever you're going through today, family. And that's what we see happening. What was an unthinkable feat with 32,000 became an impossible one with 300. And we serve a God who specializes in the impossible. What a remarkable deliverance God gives his people. He rescues them. I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to land a plane here in a moment. Because there's a part of this story that we don't hear about in our Sunday school. There's a part of this story that we often don't talk about. We learn something about faith here, family. And that's this. Faithfulness is a matter of longevity and not a momentary activity. Faith is not just something you have in a moment that you leave it behind and say, yeah, I had that three weeks ago. Yeah, that was, that was on Monday, but t- today's Wednesday. But faith is something God wants to establish within you so you can walk in all of your life. And it's not just how you start. It's not just how you continue, but also is how you finish, family. We don't know when our finish line is. 
But God wants you to cross it running. And unfortunately, Gideon didn't. This is not what we hear about Gideon. You see, in verse 22 of chapter 8, the men of Israel are so impressed by the victory God gave Gideon, so impressed by his leadership, they tell Gideon in verse 22 of chapter 8, rule over us, your sons and your grandsons also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Basically, they're saying, Gideon, how about you become our king? And Gideon says this in verse 23, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Yes and amen, right? Let's go, Gideon. But look at the next verse. We find that Gideon's a guy who knows what to say, but doesn't always do it. Gideon says to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil. Because the people they defeated were Ishmaelites, which means they had lots of gold. And they answered and said, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw it in his earrings in the spoil. And the weight of the gold earrings that he had requested was 1,700 shekels, which is about 40 to 70 pounds of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian. See, Gideon's collecting things that kings collect. And besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels, and Gideon made an ephod, which is a garment that priests wore. He made a, uh, an ephod of it, a golden one, and put it in the city in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Listen to what happens here, family. Gideon makes this thing, this garment or maybe this object out of gold, and the people of Israel begin to worship it. Because Gideon, although he denied the kingship, took the posture of a king, he requested the gold, took the purple cloaks for himself. And if that wasn't enough in verse 29, not only does he take the goods of royalty, but even lives the life of royalty. Jeroboam, that's the son of Joash, that's, in, that's his other name, that's the name of Gideon, went and lived in his own hometown. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives, kings that do that. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named his son Abimelech. Oh, you know what Abimelech means? It means my father is king. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father. Gideon did not trust the Lord until his dying day, but went back into the same syncretistic mess that his life was in when he started because he took his eye off the Lord and in his successes began to exalt himself when only God should have been exalted. See, God's committed to building up our faith, but never should we mistake in God's faithfulness in our lives for something we accomplished by our own strength. Gideon fell into that trap. What we'll learn is the mess that he creates with his family next Sunday. But as we pull back here, we learn a lot about the character of God. And we learn that we serve a God family who wants you to not walk around with that fragile sticker on your faith. But we serve a God who wants to build you up because he is faithful. He would stoop down to your level and say, I'm for you. Today, whatever it is that's holding you back, whatever it is that's calling your faith to falter, 
laid down at the feet of Jesus. Lay it down before the Lord and say, God, I trust in you today. Father God, we are here and humbled by your grace and your kindness to meet us in the places of our greatest doubt and weaknesses. And Lord, if there are any here, let me restate that, Lord, I know that there are people here battling with doubt. And I ask God that they would see that you are good. For any who are tempted to take credit for your work, let them run away from that and run to you. God, meet us here. May we trust you, Lord. Believe you, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. With us all rise to our feet. Prayer team, please come forward as we sing our closing song. Families, respond seeking prayer and seeking God to move in our lives.